um, we're sitting around and for lack of better terms, we're just complaining. I mean, we're, we're, sure. compl- we're complaining nonstop. Um, my buddy's girlfriend called us out. She was like, well, yeah, I think you can do it better. Why aren't you? We just kind of look at each other like, all right. So every Monday from that point forward, we started meeting and we started meeting at a bar basically on a napkin started writing out what it would look like for us to do it better. They're like, okay, we're going to create a place that's designed to say yes. And that's how it all started. If you've ever served, we don't care when, where, how. We want a brick and mortar spot that you can come to. And we're going to sort it all out. Emergency financial assistance, housing assistance. But it was at that point whenever we had to put, we had to take a Marine out of his house and put him in a shelter. And we were like, enough's enough. We're going to be the place that we go to and we're going to sort it out on the spot. We're going to be open when other places are closed. We're going to be the place that says yes, because you served our country. We're going to serve the people that have served us. And so, and that's how it all got started, man. From the nonprofit organization Orphan Aid Liberia, this is the Love Period Podcast, a show about the stories of leaders, creators, groundbreakers, and pioneers currently leading movements or organizations who have a focus on serving other people who at some point they had to lift up their anchor, step out in faith, step out into the unknown to get them where they are today. I'm your host, Jacob Burson, and on this episode of the Love Period Podcast, we talk to the co-founder and the CEO of the Veterans Community Project, Chris Stout. Chris is a combat army veteran with a story and a past that you're really going to want to listen to on this episode. Suffering a combat injury, Chris was medically retired from the army at the ripe young age of 26 years old. While trying to find his way in civilian life, he felt a call to something bigger, something back to his military roots, the roots of service. So bellied up to the proverbial bar one night with some veteran buddies, Chris and the guys came up with a great idea to house homeless veterans. Why not build a tiny home neighborhood for homeless fellows to live in? So right then and there, Veterans Community Project was born. At VCP, they build communities, these little neighborhoods of tiny homes to house homeless vets as they get back on their feet and rebound to a thriving life. And it's not just homes. VCP is a one-stop shop of connecting veterans to several community service organizations. As Chris says, they're a place that says yes first and figures out everything else later. Chris's story today is a really good one to listen to about how things got started, where he was, his backstory, and it's a great example of of using your skill set of what you've been gifted in and how you were created to see how that plays into what you're called to next. It was an honor to speak to Chris. He was a 2018 CNN Top 10 Hero. Their organization is doing great things so far in 2019, so join me today in this conversation with Chris Stout. All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? Jacob Burson, Love Period Podcast. We've got a great episode today. We've got Chris Stout from the Veterans Community Project online. Chris, how you doing? Man, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. This is uh, connected through you, through Luke Mickelson, your organization, CNN Hero Top 10 for 2018. We'll get into all that, man. Um, how 2018, how busy has it been Let's go with the second half of the year for you guys. Man, 2018 has been crazy. Uh, the second half, uh, insane. Uh, you know, we opened up a second phase of homes uh, this year. You know, we doubled our residency, uh, nominated as a CNN uh, hero. Uh, we increased our funding. I mean, it's just been a monumental year for us. We've expanded uh, the cities we're serving. 
uh, it's just monumental year. Yep, and we're going to get into that. Can't wait to talk about it. But before we get started, kind of like a calisthenics to get loose, to get our brains stretched out, we 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 are kind of cut from the same cloth in some ways. So I've got to talk a lot before I'm ready to actually ask questions that have any value. So 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 I start with some t-ball type questions. Are you ready, Chris? I'm ready, man. All right, man. Anything off the top of your head, whatever you got, nothing is a wrong answer here. All right, what was your first car? First car, a uh, a Jeep Wrangler, nineteen eighty nine Jeep Wrangler. Oh, you started out pretty good then. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, dude, dude, <laughs> that thing, that thing barely ran, dude. It, uh, it it was a little bit of rough around the edges, and uh, it beat the beat the crap. It uh, I had to push, pull, drag that thing into parking lots from time to time. Had no yeah. top. It was a bit rough in the the cold weather, so. Yeah, I had I had a Jeep. They say the Jeep stands for just empty every pocket. I have, I've yep. owned, I've owned two of them, and I think I've I've ran my. I've had enough of my Jeeps, so I moved on to yeah. Toyotas for a little while. All right, yeah, okay, Jeep. All right, what is the what is the worst job you've ever had? Oh man, I uh, I think that could uh, be twofold, man. I uh, I worked on a farm, and then uh, I worked in a uh, pizza hut. Man, I think those two, both those jobs, rank right up there with the the worst jobs. Actually, you know what? Now I'm thinking about it. I also worked in a zoo, so those, hmm. those both, all all three of those jobs, man. If I were to to think about it, and now that I have kids, whenever they're talking to me about work and all those things, I, you know, I I I ask them to stay away from those three professions. You know, it's not that they're bad it's just you know i think that those have been my three horrible jobs i've ever had ever i'm curious what did you do at the zoo uh you know i i worked in the food and beverage industry but you know when uh i worked there uh the food and beverage piece right you cover the entire zoo and i worked there here in kansas city um, but you know to get to all the different uh places for the food and beverage uh, you had to drive behind some of the animal enclosures, right? You know, we're sitting in this golf cart and we're delivering product to some of the, the food and beverage uh, facilities. We go behind a rhino enclosure and I'm driving and I'm, we're driving fast, right? And they don't tell you to slow down, to not startle the rhinos. And the the rhinos, if you startle them, they... Um, They'll urinate and they the, the, they don't urinate like like pee down towards the ground. They like spray, right? So like my third third day, I get urinated on, and mm. I remember, and I'm like, okay, this is by far the worst day ever. All right, so you you win. I was going to say my worst job, but I can't. That's you got it. You just you beat you beat me out there. That was you got the that was the worst job. Oh, it's a memory <laughs> I'll never forget. I that's right. That's yeah. right. Okay, if you could call yourself in the year 2000, so 19 years ago, if you could call yourself from, what would you say to your year 2000 self? I see you're a graduated high school, brother. Um, mm. Yeah, I would say study harder. Um, I would have said <laughs> uh, reevaluate which branch of service you're joining. Um <laughs> 
don't listen to your brother. Yep that 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 might have mm. been the that might have been the keynote comment. <laughs> that could be the one. You, if you just brother. went with one, so, it could just be don't listen yeah, to your brother. My brother had uh, joined the navy, um, or was joining the navy, and my brother said, "Listen, uh, he's like, if you're going to join the military, he's like, don't go navy, don't go air force." He's like, dude, you gotta go Army or Marine Corps. And he's like, dude, go combat arms. Hmm. That's what he said. He's like, dude, he's like, it's the best thing ever. Was he being serious? Was this a or was he real was this like a one long joke that he was gonna play on you and laugh for, for four years? Oh, oh, apparently he was running the long game because uh, <laughs> I I remember I, I go I go to basic training and I'm like, dude, I, he apparently was serious because he'd gone in the Navy and he was a rescue <laughs> swimmer. And, you know, he was loving life, right? Because he was aviation, not having to yeah. work hard. You know, he was living the dream. Right. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, digging holes and hating life and sweating and, you know, eating crap. And, you know, he's just like laughing the whole time. And I'm like, dude, when I find you, you're, you're done. And Wow. You know, yeah, I, thanks, brother. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, you yeah, call your two thousand self and say don't listen yeah, to your brother. I, yeah, probably call myself and be like, Don't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go twenty years into the future. It's the year twenty forty. You can call your twenty forty self. What kind of question are you asking your twenty forty self? Yeah. What do I need to invest in? I guess that's yeah, where should I be? Yeah, that would yeah. be the easy one is like what are the lottery numbers next week? Yeah, yeah. Where <laughs> what 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 What's the investment need to be? That's, that's that's it, right? You know what? Yeah. Uh, how do I better serve people? I think would be because I I feel like that's my daily thing, right? Trying to see into the future. What what is the best way to serve the people, right? Because yeah, you don't know. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But man, when you're trying to to serve the group, right? You know, you always try to think what is best for everyone. But nobody yeah. really knows until after the fact, right? You can always think you're doing what's best, but you don't ever really know until it's always too late. You know, you think you're doing what's the best thing, but. Yep. All right. So here's where we make the shift in the podcast. So here in the Love Period podcast, what we're looking for, we look for the stories of folks like you who have stepped out in faith at some point in their life to make a shift, maybe uh, you felt like you were called to something bigger, or cr- we feel like people are created for more than what they're currently doing, that they see that there's something else maybe between a bigger, between heaven and earth than maybe what they're currently doing, or maybe they need to add to that. So if you could tell us a story or maybe stories about that moment or moments where you were kind of at that cliff and you knew that there, you needed to step out in faith and into the unknown to get you where you are today. Tell us a story about uh, maybe making that first step. So I'll tell you, man, what it was is I was, I was working, uh, I was working for another nonprofit. And um, what I did was I took phone calls of, um, I was, I worked at United Way and uh, United Way has this program called 211. It's like a 911 for community resources. And um, I'd been working there for three years or so. And I took all veteran-centric calls. And so through this process, uh, I had a buddy that I worked very closely with. And 
Um, anytime a homeless guy called, I connected them with him. Right? His name was Kevin. So there was this, this, this Memorial Day weekend, and I, I specifically remember it. I had this young Marine, and he, and I say young, I mean, he was probably 34 years old. And he, um, you know, there's two types of ha- homeless funding out there, homeless prevention and rapid rehousing. Um, so this Marine was housed, um, but we couldn't get him money. Like there was, um, uh, he needed $222 to, to prevent being evicted. So I had to take this Marine and he was married and had two kids and a service dog. And I had to take this Marine and put him into a shelter overnight to qualify him for uh, the funding for uh, rapid rehousing funding. And so I, because there was no other funding out there. Um, so I take him, I put him in a shelter overnight. Now he could not take a service dog because shelters don't take dogs. This is a Thursday night um, going into Memorial Day weekend. All nonprofits are closed that Friday, okay? Now his wife goes to work on that Friday, takes their kids to the daycare or whatever. And um, he gets out of the shelter Friday morning, um, like at 11 o'clock. Um, now I'm off work cause our, our office is closed. Um, but he calls me and he goes to his apartment. His landlord had thrown all of his stuff out on the lawn and it's raining. His dog had been picked up by animal control, his service animal. And, um, his wife was at work. Kids were gone. So he calls me. I have to go get a U-Haul to help him load all of his stuff up. And then we have to go to the animal control to get his dog. And his dog to pick it up was like $680-something because they picked it up. There was a fine, and then they had given it all vaccinations, right? So now the U-Haul was like 300 bucks. The dog was almost seven. And then we had to put him in a hotel for the weekend, which was like another 300 and something dollars um, because everything was closed through Monday also. So what could have solved this problem for 200 bucks has now cost us near a thousand, right? And fast forward to Monday, um, I'm having a barbecue at my house with my buddy that was helping me with this guy. Um, We're sitting around and for lack of better terms, we're just complaining. I mean, we're just, there's probably a different word I would use, but I mean, we're, we're, we're complaining nonstop. And um, my buddy's girlfriend calls us out she's like well if you guys think you can do it better why aren't you and so we just kind of look at each other like all right yeah hold my beer and so <laughs> we at that at that point we we're, we just look at each other like all right so every monday from that point forward we started meeting and we started meeting at a bar and we started basically on a napkin started writing out what it would look like for us to do it better and so we uh, they're like, okay, we're going to create a place that's designed to say yes. And that's how it all started. We were like, if you've ever served, we don't care when, where, how type of discharge, anything like that. We want a brick and mortar spot that you can come to and we're going to sort it all out. Emergency financial assistance, housing assistance, information referral, job placement, all that, all that stuff. That's, we're going to be that place. We're going to be the go-to place. It wasn't until a little later on that we're like, all right, we're also going to do housing and tiny houses. uh, The idea of tiny houses was formulated. 
but it was at that point whenever we had to put we had to take a marine out of his house and put him in a shelter and we were like enough's enough we're going to be the place that to go to and we're going to sort it out on the spot we're going to be open when other places are closed we're going to be the place that says yes because you served our country and it was that point where we're like we're done we're done being the place that's closed when we're going to we're going to change the face of nonprofits we're not going to be um like every other organization that tries to hold on to every dollar that's raised we're going to spend it the way it's designed to be spent yeah we're going to spend it on the population that it's intended for and so that's how it all started that's whenever we're like we're gonna serve the people that have served us and so and that's how it all got started man right there wow that's crazy that that um i'm thinking about that step so you're working for united way kind of in a support role already in this particular situation with this marine did you was there any other situations before that and this was just kind of the 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 straw that broke the camel's back of a of a of another time of having to step out and help out or was this just the first the first time you saw this kind of gap that then drove the next steps to step to take these to gather these guys together and started coming up with a real solution. Dude, I'll tell you, man, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I had been working there for, at that point, three years. And when I started there, uh, so 2-on-1 is a big program. 2-on-1 covers about 98% of the country. I was a guy that was hired to work only with veterans. When I started working there, I maybe got six, seven calls a week. And I, I was able to grow that program to where I was getting about 200, 250 calls a week. And wow. I was the only guy taking that many calls. Well, it got to the point to where I was um, having to prioritize homelessness. I was prioritizing calls. And then they were like, all right, you can only send seven minutes per call with an individual. And if you can't solve the problem in seven minutes, you need to start telling them, sorry, can't help you. Well, it was, it was so bad that it was like, all right, I was prioritizing. All right. This guy is less homeless. Like he's not as homeless as the guy with a car. He's not as, or he's more homeless if he doesn't have a car. He's more homeless if he's got kids. He's more homeless if this is the set, if he's, this is the first call. So then it was that bad. And it was the point where, you know, I'm a combat veteran. I've been injured, you know, I was having traumatic events. I was having breakdowns. I was having meltdowns because I couldn't serve. I mean, you're a veteran. You understand, you know, you're given a mission to help these guys. And you know that it's not an okay thing to leave people on the streets, to not serve the people you've served with. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were expecting me to do. And so I was having a series of these breakdowns to where, I had a point where I couldn't take any calls anymore. And I was like, I was shutting down. And that was, this guy was the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, all right, I'm done. When you come from a team environment, uh, that is one of the, uh, one of the, I would say one of the struggles of, of military folks when they transition out is when you, you are then in the civilian world, unless you're fortunate enough to get employment with a veteran thick 
organization, like you said, you can't, it's hard, it's very difficult to turn your back on teammates. And once you're out, you begin to identify a lot of different people as teammates. And so when you're presented with a situation or scenario of somebody hurting, being able to draw that line to, to not come up with a solution almost immediately, it's a, it turns into almost like a, a firefighter mentality of a emergency response services of where you want to, you want to do something right, right this second. And then you're having to prioritize how much the hurt hurts to then give your attention to the top priority hurts so much so that through that process, you were starting to, you were starting to feel some negative effects yourself. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's exactly it, man. And then what I started to see, and I think it was a, it was a, it was a reality was you started to make the connection that, and, and I think it is a disconnect across the country. And it wasn't just in Kansas city, but across yeah. the country that when veterans as a whole, get to the point where they're asking for help, you need to be able and be ready to respond. Veterans don't ask for help when they need 20 bucks. Veterans ask for help when right. their backs are against the wall, when their cars are getting repoed, the sheriff is about to evict them. And that's the one and traditionally the only time they're going to ask, right? The reality is, and there's no easy way to put it, that if you're not ready to service or provide help, then the next time, there, there won't be a next time. Traditionally, there's not going to be a next time they ask for help. They are going, that's why we have such a high suicide rate amongst veterans. Mm. They will ask one time and then the next time they will execute and they're not afraid to execute. And I I hate to put it as harshly as that, but traditionally that that is the reason. It, it is my opinion is that they will ask for help once and they will whenever they can't get that service it's because and they're like okay you know we it's not that veterans aren't trained to ask for help i think we all know we know where to go we know who to go to we know how to ask it's when we do it's not there and they're like okay this this service mentality that you have, can you point to anybody from maybe your childhood, an example, an adult, a parent, grandparent, somebody who, who you feel like kind of set the example for you that played a piece in your personality today for this heart of service that you could kind of look back on and tell us about? So, man, I had a rough childhood growing up, and um, I was I was adopted by my um, my grandpa's second wife. Uh, when I was little, little, and she, uh, I call her my nanny. Uh, she raised me. She was um, in the National Guard all while I grew up, and um, she would be my the equivalent to my mom. Uh, you know, I didn't really know my mom. I mean, I know her, but you know, she wasn't my mom, if that makes sense. Uh, sure, but she was a nurse and in the national guard my entire life and has served and she may have gotten out like within the last five years uh she made it to the rank of colonel and um you know i think 
that if anything, she is the one that kind of put that, you know, if I were to attribute that, that, that piece of service into anybody. So you go from, and you grew up in Kansas City? So I grew up in, uh, I graduated high school in Branson, uh, Branson, Missouri. Okay. I'm fr- originally from Alaska. All right. So in those, in those days, you joined the Army uh, in the year 2001. We all know what's going on in the world at that time. How long was it before you deployed out? I deployed to Afghanistan in 04, 05. And how many, how many, how many tours in Afghanistan were you there? Just one. So you had a six-year stint in the army. Um, as we all know, what the what the world was like at that time, we're still kind of we're still in the middle of that today. Uh, that heart of service when you're in the army and you're thinking about transitioning to civilian life. What were you what were you envisioning was going to be your your career, your next move, what you were going to do professionally when you were there? You know, I to be honest, I did not have a clue. I when I got out of the army, I had uh you know, I got retirement and then I was on social security. And so I didn't know. You know, I got out and I didn't do anything. I hung out. And then I quickly realized that uh, that wasn't super healthy. Things started to fester, post-traumatic stress, uh, the traumatic brain injury, all that kind of stuff. You know, so I didn't, I don't think I really knew. I thought, okay, cool. It took a minute for me to realize that, uh, you know, there's some other stuff festering. And, uh, you know, then I started to kind of get some stuff squared away. Yeah. I got remarried. Uh, got a good job but it wasn't until I got remarried that uh, my current wife made the connection that she's like dude you uh, I started volunteering with a non uh, veteran centric nonprofit. she's like you are always super re-energized when you come back yeah and she she's the one that actually made the connection she's like when you work with vets she goes you are she says, you're different. She says, and it's a good different, you know? Wow. And so I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, she says, you need to keep doing that. And what it was, is it's, it was this nonprofit that uh, gave segues to veterans with mobility issues. Cause my injury, I had a crush injury to my right leg when uh, a howitzer, we were uh, on a mission and a howitzer got hit and it rolled over and crushed my leg. So oh. I, this, this charity gave me a segue to get around on. And so I was volunteering for him. And she's like, every time you come back, you're a different guy. She goes, you need to keep working with them. And so I did. And so that's kind of what got me in that mindset. At that time, I was working for H&R Block. And um, I was blessed to have this manager that was helping work through the TBI and all that stuff. And I was able to grow with the company. So I had a great job um, with them. Um, but she's like, you know, you really need to find something where you can work with that. So through that, that's about the time United Way posted the job. Mm. Uh, we want some. We want somebody to work with that. So I left a job making nearly a hundred grand a year, um, and I took a fifty percent pay cut to work yeah. for United Way. And, um, and like I said, when I started, I loved it. It was a great job. I mean, yeah. I fit in, and um, I was serving people, and um, I thought I was doing great things. 
you know, fast forward three years later, uh, you know, and it wasn't even three years. Um, when I first started at United Way, my first year, they had me do a bunch of speaking things. I was telling my story about my service and they wanted to tell about my injury. My first year, I spoke 159 times about, you know, my, de my deployment and being wounded. And, uh, that's actually what started to really trigger the PTSD. Um, I remember I was coming home from my day at work and I, I would speak like three or four times in the day. And my wife would be like, did you go to the gym today? And my body was reliving wow. the event, you know, because I was retelling my story and I was like, no. And, you know, I was perspiring, uh, you know, my body was just kind of going through the motions. And then, you know, I, I was starting to have these physical meltdowns. I didn't realize what it was until, uh, you know, I just literally broke down and it was from telling my story over and over and over. And then I went to the VA and uh, had to spend a few days there because uh, I kind of snapped. And at that point, I wasn't even working with vets. I was just telling my story, raising money for the United Way. And then I had to stop. Sure. And then that's when I started working with vets. And um, it was this whole culmination of things where I think the United Way kind of exploited what I was doing and who I was. And uh, right. But then I got to work with people and things got a bit better until it outgrew me and so yeah so yeah do you think um when you look at all the, the the steps the steps that got you to the point to gathering with your buddies and sitting in that bar right drawing up on that napkin the idea of what you guys are doing now at the veterans community project you think about those like those let's talk about like i think about the negative steps that you would see like the difficult times that struggle how how important do you think it was to go through those to provide that ability to to recognize what needed to be done with at the beginning of veterans community project so i will tell you that when i think back on that and you know when i i talk about it and i tell it um some people will be like yeah screw united what you know but i'll tell you that those are some of the most valuable days. And those, those days are what have made Veterans Community Project so successful today. Those have, you know, those days at United Way have mm. what I've been, been able to bring learning moments here. Right. And that is what made us thrive, you know, today, you know, as hard and as, you know, heart-wrenching as some of those moments were i'm gonna tell you that's why we're where we're at today that's why you know in in three years you know we've served thousands of people yeah which is kind of interesting when you think about having a conversation with you, your 2000 self and you you say don't listen to your brother had you have if you had chosen the coast guard or if you'd have went if you'd have went my route and you'd have joined the air force it's quite possible that I mean, who knows? Because we can't talk about the proverbials, but there's it's quite possible that Veterans Community Project doesn't exist today. Yeah, right. Yeah. Without that struggle. Yeah. So 
But yeah, you're like I say, I still don't want to necessarily celebrate all of the bad things that happened, but the bad things that happened are were kind of part of that refining process that got you guys to where you are today. Such a key piece to that. How, and I, I think I know this, the answer to this question. How important do you think your wife played in that, in that, in this process? My, I will tell you that my wife is probably just as valuable as any other team member I have today, especially uh, the early days. She, uh, you know, now that, I mean, we're grown. I mean, we have maybe 20 team members today, but no, and I think that's probably unfair. She is just as valuable today as she was in the early days. She, um, she day one support. I mean, if you look at it, man, we started this out of my savings account, um, out of our savings account, not my savings account, our savings account. We mortgaged our house to buy building, to buy property. I mean, none, you know, there's four of us founders. I'm blessed enough to say that uh, my wife and I are financially sound to where we didn't have a mortgage on our home. So we were able to leverage our home to do that stuff. And oh, by the way, since April of last year, I've traveled 83% of the days and I have four kids. Wow. And if it wasn't for her, I, I wow. wouldn't be able to do that. And, um, you know, and she does it, she takes it like a champ. And she also is the person that keeps me grounded and she um, mainly helps manage my schedule. And I mean, absolutely, man. She is the one that supported me whenever I quit United. I mean, she supported me when I quit my job and took a 50% pay cut. She supported me when I had no income coming in. So, I mean, she is the one that supports me when I'm losing my mind and so yeah, absolutely. This is our our deal. I mean, this is a family thing. And, you know, she comes to all the events. And, right. You know, she travels with me when I need her to. And um, you know, this is definitely um, this is not a me thing. You know. So we are kind of hit on how you saw that gap. You saw that gap because you were hands on at United Way, and you had this one situation that broke the the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, how big? As, as your organization has grown, have you had people come alongside you who are just as passionate about that same mission as you are? So it was myself and my buddy Kevin um, that that kind of did it right, and then uh, through along the process, we brought in an, another buddy, Mark, and you know because we're like, oh, we need land, and then you know Mark is a Navy vet, and he. He was a guy I knew, um, daughter and his son were in the same class and they hung out together after school and, you know, he was a realtor and we could never get rid of him. I think Mark didn't have any friends because he was a Navy guy, so <laughs> we, we couldn't get rid of him, right? And uh, so then uh, uh, after that, Brandon, Brandon is an Army veteran. Uh, I met at another veteran event and uh, dude just had a huge passion for helping vets. Right. And super good dude. Um, all the above. Right. And 
stuck around, uh, volunteered. He, um, I met him at uh, United Way and he was like my go-to guy to help um, repair vet houses when they had code violations, all this, all that stuff, right? Just massive mm-hmm. passion. Uh, you know, he, his service was cut short on a, a injury in the army and just wanted to continue to serve. Um, and he's a founder. Brian, um, Marine, I met him. He and I uh, helped start a, a free legal service for veterans here in Kansas City with another organization. He and I were on the operating committee. Um, he is an attorney. Now, I know it sounds weird. He was a Marine and he's an attorney. And how they <laughs> passed the bar exam with the crayon, um, <laughs> it's surprising to me as well but it's a miracle uh, they do happen yeah no it is yeah apparently it happens it's not an uncommon thing but um you know so through this process he um was like listen man you know if i can ever get involved and it came out it came a chance where you know we're like listen man do you want to come come on you know he was like our third or fourth official hire and he's just been in it to win it ever since you know the beginning and so it's basically been the four of us kind of rocking the thing out, you know, you know, and then our yeah. board also, right. Our board, we're all very close and just been kind of crushing it. So, uh, yeah, you know, I would say to, if I'm being completely honest, we wouldn't be here without those guys and our yeah. community, our community has really made this happen. Yeah. And that's one thing I was thinking to note while you were talking was how important sometimes when sometimes folks envision a big dream or a big mission or a big calling and they don't necessarily, or we don't necessarily include others right out of the gate, but life experiences told me that you really need to, that self-awareness is huge to know what your particular skill set is and to be able to immediately bring people in who, who can augment what you or I don't do well, but also bringing people in to participate in the mission, bringing the right people in. We say putting the right people in the boat is very huge and very critical. And it sounds like you guys kind of did that right out of the box of having good teammates around you quickly. Well, I'll tell you, um, and that's one of the things that I think that a lot of people, we've been blessed to have like a lot of news coverage. And that's one of, and a lot of people will ask us, how did you guys get this done? Well, if you look at us big picture, I have a, a, a business degree. I have a master's in business. Brian is an attorney. Kevin is a social worker. Brandon is in construction and Mark is in real estate. So if you look at what we do, we build tiny houses and provide wraparound services, social services. So we acquire land, build homes, and we provide the wraparound services and free legal services. So we have the trifecta of everything, right? Um, we have, we're all veterans. And so business guy, lawyer, construction guy, uh, social worker, and a real estate guy. I mean, we have everything that we need. And it's not a common thing to be able to get, a, get four or five veterans that can do all those things that are educate you know what i mean so yeah well that's you got you have what yeah what but but that that structure is very 
that structure in itself, while it's all veterans, is also extremely military in how it's put together in terms of we always, when you're putting together a team, when you're we're executing some kind of mission, some kind of task, some kind of effort, you always have people with specialist skills. And it, it, it seemed that you guys kind of naturally stepped into that with the different skill sets that you guys had. So it was whether that was intentional right out of the box or just kind of happened to play out that way, you guys came out with the best chance possible of success and it, and it happened. I know I'm granted that you guys put in a ton of work after that, but if you were putting together air quote, a dream team for what the veterans community project is, you guys did you lucky, early. Man. That's all it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's one of those extremely underrated pieces of how luck plays into that. But I, I don't know. I think sometimes luck is is kind of created in some ways, but it's also just being available. I wouldn't say necessarily luck was huge. I would say that being available and willing was what was so important early on for no, you guys. I, oh, trust me, man. I'll, I'll own it. I'll own all of it, man. I I I did it all. I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> uh, we, you know, I think, uh, I do. I think the, the, the thing is, is we were blessed. You know, we knew a lot of, uh, like-minded people that just wanted to serve people the right way. And, um, they truly cared to do it, um, and do it quickly. And so, you know, you take, you take, yeah. Brian, Brandon, Kevin, and Mark, we really didn't, you know, if you look at the reality of the situation, if none of us were a realtor, somebody went, went out and gotten a real estate license. If you look, and the thing was, is none of us were general contractors, but myself, Brian, and Brandon, we all went out and took our GC test. So all three of us are GCs because we weren't, we weren't GCs, yeah. but you know what? We went and got that book. And we studied and we figured it out. And Brandon was the first right. to pass it. And then Brian and I were the second because we're like, we're not going to rely on other people. We're, we're smart enough to figure it out. You know, we're not idiots. Right. And, you know, That's we right. needed it to happen. We can't um, be at the whim of the city or other people because there are people freezing their rear ends off on the street. And, right. Um, you know, we need to start making movement over here. So that is one of the key pieces is being able to is having the wherewithal to know to be do whatever it takes to be educated enough and be certified enough. If this is the game that you want to play, city, county, state, we'll play it and we will be the ones so we don't have to rely on other people in terms of the waiting game because we have a mission we need to execute. In order to execute that mission, here's what needs to be done. Man, that is huge. Play to your strengths. But that's a that's a military thing, right? And a lot of people ask us that. And when we started off, we would get a, a bit of flack from people, right? When right. people were talking about funding us or not funding us, we got that. Like, they're like, we would get, well, what's your plan B? Well, our answer was, we don't have a plan B. Our plan A is we're building tiny houses. They're like, okay, right. well, what if the city says no? Right? They're not going to say no. We're going to execute this. We'll right. ask them if they hate veterans. And if right. they say yes, then we'll go around them. But we don't have, we, 
we have one thing and you know us all being military our mission is to do this and execute we will yeah. find a way to execute and right. we have a timeline and we're going to do it within this timeline because that's we're all combat arms mos's and yeah. we were never trained to have a secondary option it was get it done that's right get it done within these time standards and so that's the way we've always operated man and and that's huge. That is huge, man. Self awareness is so so huge. And one of the other parts about the the problem with Plan B and C is that people will not. What will wind up happening is people will not execute on Plan A because they don't have a Plan B. So they will use the lack of a Plan B or getting some affirmation from an outside source who really doesn't care about what you're doing, and say, "Well, we're just kind of waiting because you know we've got this good plan, but you know we didn't have a Plan B, so we're we're not just." pull the trigger, go and, and learn along the way and find there's, like you said, there's enough, there's enough people out there who are, who will see your strength and self-awareness that'll jo- come on board with what you guys are doing. Okay. And that's huge. And, you know, we've gotten pretty far with no plan B. So, you know, and yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, you need to come up with, you can need to come up with a plan yeah, B before. No, dude, and I'll tell you, uh, if I'm being completely honest, a lot of it's ignorance that that's gotten us this far, but you know, we'll, we'll, well, that's yeah. But see, yeah. Yeah. People don't realize that that's a big piece of us, of, of veterans is that they, they look at, man, they have such drive and determination. Yeah, it's because we're not really, we don't necessarily always know exactly what we're doing. We just kind of make it happen. And, Oh, we were supposed to have a plan B. We're just going to keep doing plan A and before long, but plan A becomes a specialty that, a lot of people are wanting to find out how we did it. Uh, and, that, and that's it. You, you know, we've had what seven, 700 plus cities reach out to us about our plan A. And, you know, now we're, now we're wow. experts in plan A, you know, so. <laughs> with a big, with a big smirk on your face. Yeah. You know, that's it. Right. You know, like, yeah. How do you like me now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we've kind of, We've hit a lot of questions here, but something that I've been waiting to kind of get into and kind of add. So Veterans com- veterans Community Project, give us some details. Let the folks know what Veteran Community Project is, what you guys do there. Yeah, man. So, you know, I think most people know us as the guys that do tiny houses for homeless pets. But, you know, I think that's an oversimplification. You know, in general, yes, we provide housing in tiny homes. Um, but the the big deal, I think the meat and potatoes of what we do is we provide the wraparound services for our residents and the general veteran population within our communities that we serve. So that's information referral, housing placement, job placement, free legal services, even though our lawyer is not very good because um, he's a Marine. Um, <laughs> We do, uh, um, we have a food pantry, clothing closet, um, emergency financial assistance. What, what I like to try to say is, you know, yes, that's a list of services, but ultimately what I like to not do is kind of put all that stuff in a box. Um, what I want to do is say, listen, if you have a need, come to us and we will figure it out. We want to be the one-stop shop, all things veteran. 
and we'll sort it out. You know, it, we don't um, discriminate based off of your time and service, your discharge status. We will serve you. We will get it figured out and we will help guide you to the right place. We may not be the actual service provider, but we will, we will connect you with the right stuff. Right. Yeah. So you guys have the community in Kansas city. How many tiny homes are there? So we have a community in Kansas city. We have 26 tiny homes and we'll start construction on our next 23 in March. Um, so that'll put us at 49 houses here in KC. Um, we will start construction uh, in June uh, in Colorado, and then hopefully we'll have secured our next property in Orlando within the next 90 days. Uh, so, yeah, no, we're growing, man. We're we're plugging away, and then um, I'm actually getting ready to go visit a few other properties, um, a few other cities. Sorry, uh, I'm gonna go look in Alaska. I'm gonna go look in. Uh, Cincinnati and I go look in Jonesboro. Um, we're also working in St. Louis and Nashville. So we have a ton of other cities that are interested and we're seeing which is the best fit. Yeah, man, that's unbelievable. And, and then our, uh, our blog notes for this episode, we'll link people to you guys' website um, just so folks can kind of get an idea to see what you guys do. You guys build neighborhoods that are of tiny homes that house homeless veterans. Yeah, man, just like you know, like a subdivision, if you will. Um, we have a couple different designs of the homes and um, the idea is to get people in, stabilize them, fix whatever created the issue in the first place and transition yeah. them into permanent housing. Wow, man, that's unbelievable. Tell me a little bit about, you, you mentioned the community around you guys that that has come together to support you guys that help make all this possible. What about the community within the tiny home, within the within the Veterans Village? What's that community like there? You know, um, so we place our homes within a community, right? So we're within city limits. Um, you know, like here in Kansas City, we are nestled in between a couple apartment complexes. Um, we're on a bus stop. Everybody's receptive to our village. You know, the community that the veterans actually live in, their neighbors, their friends, they're cooking for each other. I mean, these guys are getting to know each other. And you know what? I'll tell you, that's the goal. The goal is, is to sh- I, I, it's our opinion that part of the reason that these guys are becoming homeless, guys and gals, because for us, veteran is a synonymous term. Um, the reason they're becoming homeless is because they're losing that sense of community. You know, they're losing that connection to their brothers and sisters. But they're becoming friends and they're becoming family and they are having meals together again. You know, they're helping each other out. I'll tell you a a quick story. They, uh, uh, I have a guy over there. He's got nine deployments under his belt between Iraq and Afghanistan. Army Ranger, 36 years old, three kids. Uh, young, young dude, man, young dude, got a job, went through divorce, just fell on hard times, right? And he's living in one of our houses. And he's very, very private. And I mean, he's got a, a rack of awards that would crush 
anybody's chest. Right. And, um, and I totally didn't expect this to happen. One day I, I come back in town after visiting another site and he comes to my office and he's like, Hey man, I want to talk to you about one of the residents. I hear he has to move out. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. Uh, they said that he's moving out because they got to make room for another guy. He's like, if that's the case, let let him move into my place. Now the guy's living in a single unit, right? So it's got room for one dude. And he goes, yeah, we went to dinner together. So one, He's telling me that him and two other residents had gone to dinner. He took those two guys to dinner. And two, it's telling me that they're talking about their situation. And three, it's telling me that he's now wanting to help support him in his home. So they're coming together. They're taking care of each other. And now he's coming to me to help take care. You know what I mean? So that, wow. that community is working the way it's designed to work. You know, now I will tell you that he didn't have the whole story, you know, and the guy wasn't being asked to leave. He was going through some case management stuff. So that's not what the situation was, but what it, what I was doing, I mean, my heart was being filled because we had a resident that was looking out for another resident and they were going wow. out to eat. I mean, dude, that, that, that is what that is designed to do. And, you know, Right. So to me, that's a win. That's a good thing. So. Yeah. And that's, man, that's the, the, the community aspect I think is what, I think it still exists big time in our nation. I don't think that it's talked about quite as much as it probably should. It's pushed to the back burner. I think community is huge and creating that community for people, man, it's, that's as that kind of community and that kind of commitment to each other, man, that's heaven. That's what, that's what we're all yearning for. We're all looking for that place to belong. And gosh, you guys are, are doing that for some homeless guys who have lost that connection and all they need is that peace. Just that peace could be such a huge catalyst to shift, to shift their life and to change, you know, like that, for that example that you give for that ranger, I mean, <laughs> Gosh, just seeing how his life changed and went in a different direction and became a a point of service again to check that box for him to have that heart of mission is phenomenal. I mean, think about it, man. If if they were living in a different setting and they were in an apartment building, that would have prevented homelessness for that guy. Yeah. I mean, that's the right place. That's the right frame of mind these people, these guys need to be in. And for me, that's a step in the right direction. Unbelievable. Man, that is, man, that's so good. That's so awesome. You got starting with a yes, and then you just figure out how to help. That is huge. All right, so what about the free bus passes? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, man, that's one of, we call that one of our flagship programs, man. That, that'll happen in every community we go to. Um, you know, for us, that's a blessing, man. That was done through a partnership uh, with our local transit authority, the KCATA here. Um, the really cool thing is, is uh, gosh, man, I think they told us we've, we've given out 2.2 million rides now. Fun. And uh, we're just, we're about like 5,000 passes we've, we've doled out. Um, we're, we're kind of the gatekeeper of that program. Anybody can come get it. Any uh, veteran, they come, show that they're a vet, they get their picture taken, 
and they get a they get a free bus pass. They swipe it. They can ride anywhere uh, within the the I think it's five counties. And uh, dude, it is one of the best things. You know, the funny part is is uh, when we started that, they gave us like a thousand passes. We went through that in three weeks, mm. and the a- the ATA was like, "What the heck?" We're like, "Dude, I told you, this is gonna be a big deal." Yeah. And uh, fast forward a year, we've gone through. Uh, they've given over a million rides, and the the transit authority couldn't be happier. Wow. You know, they just love the program. Veterans just, I I will tell you, I joke and I call that the biggest bait and switch thing that we do, right? Because we we get them to come in for the bus pass and then we're like, okay, what else do you need? Right. Uh, and then we're able to kind of, we're, we're able to kind of offer yeah. a ton of other services. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, so, that's super cool program, yeah. man. And that's, that's huge. Just, just think if you had do any kind of work with the homeless community or folks that are in some kind of transitional space, one of the most underestimated, one of the most underestimated pieces that people forget that a lot of these guys don't have is the ability to get themselves around. They don't have a license or it's, you know, they're, they have some kind of suspended license. They can't get around. So they can't get to and from a job. They can't take those first steps to get towards that path towards recovery. So then they just don't take any steps at all. And it just sounds simple that a, that a bus pass doesn't sound like it's that big a deal, but it's actually a huge, huge deal. We were getting thank yous from vets. Yes. Vets would come in and be like, thank you so much. But really cool part was, is I'd say it was about three, four weeks in, we would have social workers from the VA. They just showed up. They were in tears, giving us hugs, just thanking us because they had people, their veterans were coming to their appointments consistently. They were able to engage them in group therapy because of this, because this program, they were grateful. Wow. It wasn't the veterans. It was their social workers. It was their therapists. And they were coming to thank us because of the huge impact it was having on their veterans' lives and on their work. And I know you probably have a lot of examples. If there was one example that you could think or a big story that you could, if you were to, if somebody were to ask you to flagship what you guys are doing at Veterans Community Project, is there a particular story that you would go to first or maybe a, maybe it was something that you guys learned along the way, or maybe it's somebody that you've interfaced with that's turned their life around. What would be that? What would be that story? Everybody knows us for the the tiny houses and all that. Right. But uh, one of the stories is uh, that I love and it, a lot of it's because I travel so much. So I, I get to see this individual on, on the, the regular basis. We had this lady come in the Navy veteran and she came in and she was kind of freaking out and she had uh, walked here and she lives, I would say maybe 10 blocks North of here. She walked here and I, I my office uh, is right by the door and she had reached out to us and she's like, um, she had applied for this job with the TSA. Now the TSA, the, our, our airport is about, if you're riding the bus, it's a two-hour bus ride from here. But the bus will go there. Um, but it's, I would say it's about a 40-minute drive via car. Uh, it's 30, 36 miles. Um, uh, her cell phone had been shut off. 
her car, she bought a, a car from one of those dealerships that can turn it off if you miss a payment. Um, and then she needed food, right? And her, she'd missed rent. So she came in here asking for some financial assistance and food and all that stuff. So when she came in, we were able to, we made her car payment, which is like $186. We got her cell phone turned on because uh, she was interviewing at the TSA. That, that was a whole pretense of it. She needed her car turned on and couldn't take the bus to the TSA because her uh, interview was at like five o'clock uh, in the morning uh, and the bus doesn't run that early. So fast forward, we get her car turned back on, make right. a payment, get her phone turned back on, get her food and get her a gift card uh, to pay her rent. Get all, get her squared away. Fast forward a uh, couple weeks, she gets a job at the TSA, all that good stuff. Okay. So she, uh, is good to go. Uh, I'm traveling, uh, flying out of the terminal she's working at. And, uh, I think, you know, I have a service dog. I'm flying, I'm running late for a flight and I'm kind of freaking out because TSA is giving me a hard time. And I snap at one of the people and she goes, Mr. Chris, calm down. I'm going to come help you. And I'm like, who is this that knows my name, right? <laughs> and then I recognize her. And I go, oh, how's it going, Jesse? You know, because I, I recognize her. And she goes, it's good. She goes, yeah. she goes, I just want to thank you. She comes around, gives me a hug. She goes, I got the job. And I didn't know, you know, beyond helping her. Because that day, I'd gotten her squared away. I happened to be leaving the office. I had taken her to the Walgreens, got her the gift card dropped her off at her house, you know, all that stuff. Right. And beyond that, I hadn't seen her. Right. Yeah. And then I saw her at the, at, at the airport and she was trying to settle me down. Cause like I said, I'd snapped at the TSA, which I was, I was wrong. I should have never done it. But she came around, gave me a hug. She says, I'll help you, you know, pushes my stuff through the little x-ray thing. Get on the other side. She says, have a good day. Right. Move on. So I get to the, get, I'm on the plane. I call the office and I'm like, uh, I tell Jamie, I'm like, Jamie, you know, Jesse got the job. She goes, yeah, I heard that she did. Okay. Go a couple weeks later. I'm flying out again. Jesse's there again. She, she's working and she'd gotten promoted. She's now the, like the TSA supervisor. I'm like, you got promoted. She goes, yep, I'm running the show now. So she's now a supervisor there. And then we also have our annual event and our tickets to our annual event is like a hundred bucks. She buys a ticket to our annual event and she like sees me at the security. She goes, Hey, I'm going to see you at your thing. And she wasn't joking. She bought a ticket to our event and came to our event. So not only is she working, but now she's giving back to us. And so for me, like if I'm telling you like a, a highlight story, we helped her. She's now stable housing, you know, working, getting promoted, thriving, and now giving back to us and just crushing it, you know? And for me, because we don't have restricted funding, we're able to help people what we feel is the most appropriate way and on the spot. Like if we had to wait and go through all this red tape, she would have never gotten a job. She would probably had needed housing on top of everything else. But because we did that now, I, I, I see her often because I travel all the time. 
and she is just thriving and all because we were able to give her a couple hundred bucks wow. and we didn't have to do, you know, like this whole fill out this paperwork, do this, you know what I mean? Wait five days, you know, we were able to help her right then yeah. on the spot because she is a veteran and it was, Oh, by the way, the right thing to do. So for me, that is, that is the highlight story of the year, right? Yeah. Because that was the right thing to do. And wow. she's got a great job at the TSA. Yeah, just being so fluid. You guys being such a fluid organization in the nonprofit world um, is what is so, it's it's very underrated. Yeah. All right, so what about big plans for 2019? You kind of hit on a couple of projects that are going on. What are your big plans for 2019? Man, big plans. Our, our big plans are to finish up all of Kansas City, finish the rest of the houses and our community center, and then um, – have houses built in Colorado and then um, start moving dirt in Orlando for sure. We hope to have land acquired in two to three other cities in 2019, man. That's, that's big plans. Um, wow. Yeah, dude, we hope to grow our staff by, uh, we hope to double our staff also. 2018 CNN top 10 hero. When did, Tell us about how you heard about that and when that when that's when that information hit you of what you guys were responding to and then how just how that kind of unfolded over the next several months. <laughs> Man, I uh well, I got a call on it when I was actually traveling in Denver and I remember I kind of was teasing the guy when he called me, I go, What's CNN? And then the guy went through this thing and he's like, Listen. CNN is a global news organization. I go, listen, man, I'm just messing with you. Um, I know what <laughs> CNN is. And he, uh, he was like, okay. Um, when I found out I made it as a hero, I remember I was at home. It was late in the evening. It was a little surreal, you know, but it was a good deal. Uh, super, super cool thing. I was a little taken back because, you, you know, I'm not the only one that does work around here. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's a group effort, you know. I remember I, she's like you can't tell anybody you know but you know i went and told my wife and you know my kid and you know and then they all made fun of me a little bit oh you're a hero now you know they kind of poked at me a little bit <laughs> you know so i had to kind of swallow that a little bit and, um, oh well, listen if you if, if you've lived a life as a as a military uh no, nobody tells you congratulations on anything. Yeah, I know. Even the way we tell the way we tell you congratulations is to give you a hard time. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, that that's exactly it. I I remember I I had told my um I was so my brother whenever um I was able to start telling people because um, my brother's in the navy, right? And my brother thinks the navy is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, I had my I had my buddy make a a t shirt that says my brother's a CNN hero. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I made them wear it at Christmas. So it was great. Um, that's great. Yeah. 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 So no, it was, it was really, really fun. So at the, at the, uh, the, the top 10 hero event, who, who was at the, who was, who was your celebrity at your table? Yeah, that was, uh, Omari Hardwick. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was at our table. Um, my presenter was Lauren Bush Lauren. Okay. 
Yeah, dude. And she, yeah, Omari Hardwick, uh, he was, he's in a show called Power. Um, I think it's, on, I think it's on Netflix or something like that or Amazon Prime. Uh, but dude, he's yes. a cool dude. And like when they were announcing me, he kept like elbowing me. He's like, he's like, that's you. He's like, that's you. That's you. That's you. Dude, he was like trying to get me all amped up while the camera's on me. I'm like, dude, relax, dude. He's like, I'm like, quit messing with me. And and then uh, Lauren Bush, Lauren, dude, she is so cool. Just most down to earth, laid back, chill person ever. Um, you know, I've been able to stay in contact with her and um, yeah, she shoots me a note every now and then and just good people. Wow. So, man, man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What a cool, man. What a, would you ever imagine when you ever imagine when you came back from Afghanistan, when you came back home, you got out of the army, what 2018 would look like in your life? Did you ever envision that? Let's actually, let's just go to when veterans community project got off the ground. Could you ever imagine 2018 playing out the way it did? Dude, I had no idea. Dude, like, I never uh, envisioned anything being as big as this. You know, it's been a big year for us, man. It's, um, I had no clue, bro. Like, um, you know, we what? we had, yeah. uh, dude, the scene in Hero thing was huge. I mean, we met some great uh, and amazing people. And then, uh, dude, we had, I don't know if you watch football, but Patrick Mahomes was out here at the site this year. Yeah. Um, you know, he came out and hang out, hung out with us. And dude, we had, dude, it's been a big year for VCP and it's, um, wow. Yeah, dude, it was, it was a cool deal. So, um, man, it was awesome. We've got people listening to this podcast who could be right there at that moment. They feel like they're called to something bigger, that they were created to something else, or they've identified some kind of gap like you guys did. And they're just, uh, they're hesitating on that step. What is something, what do they need to know? What do we need to know to take that step? And you need to know that you will always still avoid unless you do it. You have to, um, you have to follow your heart, man. You have to follow your, you have to follow your, um, your gut, man. And you have to trust yourself. If if you're feeling that uh, it's the right thing, you have to believe in yourself. You're you're probably right, and you're probably the right person to do it. If 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 it's if it's always on your mind, if it's always in your forefront, you are. 99.9% probably correct in thinking you're the right person to do it I'm telling you. And, uh, I would caveat that with surround yourself with great people that are going to support you in doing it because, uh, you can't do it yourself. You know, that, that'd be my advice, right? When people always ask me all the time, why'd you do it? How'd you do it? Well, I didn't do it myself. I brought great people in. I got brought great people that were like-minded and supported the mission and we just did it. So. All right, Chris, man, great words today. We had a dude, just so much, so much great stuff. You guys are doing there at veterans community project. How can people find you guys online to track and see what you guys are up to? Yeah, you can find us at veterans community And then you can also find us on Facebook. 
Awesome, man. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for taking the time and speaking with us today. Thank you, man. Appreciate you having me. All right. We'll see you back. Take care. How great is it to hear these stories from people like Chris who see something, they see a gap and they feel a call to do something and they take a risk. They step out in faith and they go do that thing. It's awesome to hear the story from these people because they're all of these people have a common thread. All of these people have a common statement that they continually make to us in that. And Chris just said it right there. If we don't pursue what it is we feel like we were created to do, that thing is always going to eat at us. We're always going to fill a void. Those were great words that he shared with us. Because you, if you feel that void, if you feel like you were created for something bigger, like there is something bigger between heaven and earth and what you're currently doing, you need to know that that's true, that you do have that ability to take a step. So just take one little step. The world needs it. The world needs you to fill the gap that you feel like you were created to fill. And you've got the ability to do it. And we just hope maybe Chris's story today inspired you. We would like to thank the Veterans Community Project. What they're doing there is phenomenal. We owe our veterans a great, humongous debt of gratitude for what they've done for our country, just the service that they have given our country uh, through over, over the years, our combat veterans. We want to thank Chris and his service and the entire team service there at Veterans Community Project. What they're doing for this country is amazing work and is something that we owe our veterans in a big, big way. So we just want to thank those guys, specifically thank Veterans Community Project and the efforts to that they're up to right now. We'll have the show notes for this episode and link everything that we need to link to Veterans Community Project on our website on orphanaidliberia.org. There in our blog for the Love Period podcast, we'll have the show notes for this episode with Chris Stout and the Veterans Community Project. So go there and check that out. You can find out more about the Veterans Community Project, what they're up to and what they're up to, their websites, their links, and all the things and news that they have there. If you haven't, go ahead and subscribe to the Love Period Podcast on iTunes. You can also subscribe to us in Stitcher as well. And the RSS feed is available on our blog at orphanaidliberia.org. Go ahead and subscribe to us in iTunes. You can do that through Stitcher as well. Also, the RSS feed is on our Love Period Podcast blog on orphanaidliberia.org. Guys, we have so many more amazing stories that are going to be coming our way. So many people who, who, so many people who just stepped out in faith and decided to do and pursue what it is they felt like they were called and created to do, just like you are. So we can't wait. We cannot wait to hear your story one day of the thing that you decided to take a risk and go chase and go do, because you've got the ability to go do it. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time.